Well, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 there, beginning in verse number 43. And before we do that, I normally don't ever take time to give announcements before the sermon, but a lot of times people miss the announcements. Uh, Let's just do a little straw poll. There's no judgment here. How many of you actually read the newsletter? Really? (laughs) How many of you read the bulletins? A lot more people than me. All right, here's the thing. A lot of times we have great stuff that goes on here, but unless we announce it from the pulpit, people are like, I didn't know it was going on. So here's what we want you to put on your calendars. If you have students, if you have grandchildren who are students, uh, March, let's see here, is it March 21st and the 22nd, uh, we have the Youth Evangelism Conference for the whole eastern, or rather the, the whole western half of Virginia at First Baptist Roanoke. There are details there in the bulletin and the newsletter. If you have a student, or if you know a student, between the 6th and the 12th grade, This is going to be an incredible, incredible conference. It's about evangelism, teaching our students what to do, how to share the gospel uh, with people who don't know Jesus. And if you want to sponsor a student, you can do that. Just designate your check. The cost is 40 bucks for the whole weekend. There's even a concert. And so that's something we want the students to get involved with. And also, uh, on June 15th, you're like, wow, Jeff. You're really putting it for out there. June 15th through the 22nd, there's going to be the Student Fusion Mission Camp. We're going to get our students together. We're going to go to Richmond. We're going to learn what doing missions actually is on the home front. All right? And if you want to sponsor a student, you can do that as well. We have all of that information. But I would beg and plead with you, if you have students that are 6th through 12th grade, bring them on this trip. You can go as a sponsor if you'd like to, uh, if you're a parent, and I'll be going on this trip, and it will be absolutely, absolutely awesome. And then finally, our annual outreach, we have softball coming up. So I'm talking about, all right? So all of you softball warriors, uh, we need you. And we're going to be starting practices here in the next uh, couple of weeks, very laid-back practices, and the games begin mid-April. So, you do not have to be a member of Rocky Mount Baptist Church to be on the softball team. This is an outreach we do so that you can invite your friends who don't have a church who like to play softball to come play with us. And right out to my right and your left, if you just hook around this corner, there is a tan table, and on that tan table there is the sign-up sheet. So we would love to have a strong softball team once again. And always, Barry C. wins the Spirit Award every single game. Barry even encourages the guys on the other team. That's how much of an encouragement and a son of Barnabas that he is. And by the way, that is biblically Barnabas in the Bible. If you've read it closely, the New Testament literally means son of encouragement. And Barry, I appreciate you and so many of you in this church that are doing outreach with your friends. Amen. It is amazing sometimes in church life, I just need to get this off my chest, where people will come week in and week out and never invite anybody. Have you noticed that? Man, that's crazy. Like if we go, like let's, because we obviously need another Mexican restaurant in Rocky Mount. 
Right? So like when the next dozen Mexican restaurants open up in Rocky Mountain, man, what of it just, I mean, they knock a grand slam. And I mean, it is just food that is so good. You can't even describe it. You know what you're going to do? You're going to do a little, little beep, 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 call somebody. Like, dude, you've got to go check this out. I mean, you're going to be talking about it on Facebook. You'll be talking about a casual conversation. And that's about food. Amen? This is the Baptist church. We love food. So here's the thing. We talk about sport teams we love. Man, we talk about restaurants that we love. We talk about activities like we love. Like, man, you've got to come to this dodgeball tournament, man. It was, we only had three people taken away from, you know, like the ambulance. You know, it's awesome. You got to come. Like, and any random thing, you know, and, and some of you shoppers, I mean, you'll get on the phone, little, doot, 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 and you will call and like, they have a sale. That four-letter word that a lot of husbands hate to hear. A sale. And you, you know, you're gonna get, get the posse together. You know, you're gonna get in there like you're ready to go to fight. Man, you're gonna go, you're gonna kill it, Rocky Mount, Roanoke, Lynchburg, and you're gonna come home with something that you need. <laughs> Amen, ladies? Right? Like, you know, and, and we'll, I'll just stop there, so we'll get into the text. Get in trouble. And uh, so the point here is, is that you guys are hitting it out of the park by here's, this is the sad comparison. Listen, by not being like most churches. Most churches, people come down, they come into the building, they get the bulletin, they sit on their rear, they open it and they do this. Until the first song starts. What that screams is, is I don't give a rip who's here and who's not. That's what it says. Are we okay? But when you, as a part of Rocky Mount Baptist Church, you come in, man, you are ready and you are ready to encourage someone. You are ready to just fire up the people that God brought here because you don't know what people went through to get here. Right? So when you come saying, I'm not coming to look for a sermon to benefit me. I'm not looking for my favorite song to be played. I'm not coming to say, well, have they painted the back room or whatever it may be. But I'm going to come as a person who claims to know Jesus Christ. And I'm going to come as a missionary to other people that God has brought. And that will set you free. And unfortunately, most churches, you come in, you grab your bulletin, you sit down and you don't speak to anybody. And may God continue to deliver us from that to where we come ready to be on mission. Now that people are mad, let's move on. And here's the thing. If the shoe fits, wear it. All right. I don't I'm I'm so busy with Sunday school. I'm so busy with coming in. I don't know who I don't know. I mean, there could be a war. There could be a gunfight happening in the back and I will not notice that I'm zoned. And we're not expecting that, by the way. All right. So here's the thing. Come And if you treat, I mean, your walk with Jesus as a chance to be a missionary, it will set you free from, I didn't get this song played, I didn't have this. Because listen, we can never be satisfied. And if you haven't learned that yet, hopefully today's text will do it. So here's what we're going to do. If you're following our outline on the website or on our newsletters, we are taking two weeks today and next week to get through this outline. The subject... The incredible, the crazy, radical, revolutionary idea that Jesus posited to his hearers was that you love your enemies. That's going to take us two weeks to work through. So what we're going to do is today is we're going to set up 
the idea behind Jesus' argument here. And then we're just going to walk through it verse by verse. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. And we will read through verse 48. The Bible says, you have heard, and this is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and what to your enemy? Hate your enemy. That's what people have been told. Jesus in verse 44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies. And he goes a step further and pray for those who persecute you. Here's the reason. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be what? Perfect. Jesus literally actually said, you must be perfect. Notice, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You talk about raising a scary bar. I mean, let's just do a little bit of review here. I mean, my goodness, go back to the first part of chapter five, where where Jesus says there uh, in verse number five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness doesn't mean weakness, but meekness simply means power under control. Jesus is saying the conquerors are not the ones that inherit the earth, but the ones who give themselves to God. Those are the ones who inherit the earth. And not only that, he goes over in verse number 7 of chapter 5. Blessed are the what? Watch out. The merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In that day and time, you didn't give mercy when your opponent was down. You kicked him again to make sure that they stayed down. Notice what Jesus says over in verse 9. He said, blessed are, meaning favored by God. The what? The, The peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons or the children of God. Wow. And then Jesus really begins to light them up. You know, when when he comes in verse 17 and he says, By the way, I'm going to be saying some radical stuff, but don't be confused because verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish or destroy or like a... uh, Like a terminator, exterminator comes in to eradicate the cockroaches in the building. He says, I've not come to eradicate the law, but rather to fulfill it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that if you believe that the Old Testament says the opposite of what I'm saying, you've misunderstood the Old Testament. Now, in today's world, the Old Testament gets kicked on a lot, does it not? I mean, man, people will sometimes say stuff like, you know, I'm okay with Jesus. Jesus is about love. Jesus is a good teacher, which, by the way, Jesus talked far more about hell than he did about what? 
Heaven, he did. So here's the thing, man. You you can't take Jesus and put him, you know, in a types of little thing that they use to divide the Play-Doh out. Say, I'll take this sliver of Jesus. I'll take this package of Jesus. Man, Jesus was the original, old school, I mean, preacher who talked about hell. He was. Like, I mean, he, he, and he, he would do it in very, very politically correct terms, too. He would say, now, all of you respectable religious founding, foundational pillars of the community. All of you people who your goodness has been shining like the stars. I give this word of advice to you. No, he said to the top dogs of that day, the people in the academia and the Jewish world, like the church leaders in the Jewish world, he said, you brood of vipers. In other words, you big pile of venomous snakes. Wouldn't that be a, one way to start out a sermon? You know, hello, pile of rattlesnakes. And you're just like, where's the punchline? And there's no punchline. It just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And why did Jesus do things like that? Because, listen, because Jesus loved people enough to tell them the truth. And in our culture today, this would be a large part of our message. If you tell the truth, even if you speak it in love, many people think that you're being unloving if you simply, if we want to use the old expression, if you say it like it is. But if we follow Jesus, Jesus said it like it was because people needed to be shaken out of their self-righteousness. You see. And so when we say things that sometimes it's like, man, that was that was not politically correct. That was rather inflammatory. We don't want to do that just to shock people for for no reason. But Jesus is the one who is coming through saying, look, even though what I'm saying seems to be different than what you've been told, I'm not destroying the Old Testament. I'm simply showing you what it's meant all along. You see, and Jesus talks about anger. You know, he says, (laughs) this is interesting. He says, you know, that it's been said. Don't murder. Whoever murders should be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause is in danger of judgment. And then Jesus goes to the heart adultery issue, right? He says, you guys know it's wrong to commit adultery. But I say that if you look with lust in your heart, you've already committed it. And then he goes and he addresses the issue of divorce, where these people are just getting divorces for no reason. He says, look, the the only way you can come to that biblically is if there has been unfaithfulness. And even still... In Matthew 19, he said, if you do so, you do so because of a hard heart. Now, that is something that is not just revolutionary in the first century. That is something that does not get amens today. Jesus goes even further. And he says, this is where we camped out last week. Notice, he says, you've heard that it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, you know that, man, the way that, our, that this culture is built, it's built upon the idea of reprisal and revenge. And he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And if someone insults you, remember getting slapped on the left cheek by the right hand? He says that if someone insults you, don't return the insult. Now, let's just put the Bible here and say for just a moment, some of us were raised very differently, were we not? Some of us are raised in such a way to where everything that we do is supposed to to be to hit harder, to react more, to yell louder than, to use more abusive language than what is being thrown at us. And last week we talked about Lamech's law in Genesis chapter 4 to where this, this great-grandson of Cain, the original murderer, 
He gathered his family together and he says, listen to me. He says, I've killed a man for wounding me and I've taken a man's life for striking me. And that was the law. Listen, especially if you're from my generation, because we've got blogs and we've got stuff that can be good information, but a lot is off in this sense. The Bible is thrown under the bus time and time again because people say the Old Testament, it's a God of bloodshed, of violence and revenge. Listen, the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was not given to Moses and the people by God to say, all right. Let's just start having a bunch of one-eyed people and snaggletooth people walking around. And I will make, make no jokes there about states that I know a lot of you have already gone to in your mind and I'm not doing it. Alright? Shame on you. Alright. Jesus is not saying that the Old Testament was given so that you get to get that tooth. By the way, if you, man, you're a sicko, right? Like, let's just say, like in the Old Testament, somebody's like, no, dude, no, this accident happened on the job and I literally lost my eye. Like he was not paying attention. And I want you to, I'm sorry, this is the biblical metaphor. If you're squeamish, I apologize. This is, here it is. But I will take his eye out. I want it out. Now, does that fix the eye that you lost? I mean, if you go through and you take the tooth, and we can even use a little bit of symbolism here, the insult. If you take the, the honor from them and go through with the insult on them, if you take their tooth, you take their eye, does that really fix what has been broken in you? Absolutely not. So the Old Testament law was almost, in a sense, the air breaks to put on that culture of Lamech's law and revenge to where God says all you get if you go through with this is one eye for one eye. You cannot take the man's life. You cannot take the woman's life for an accident that happened on the job. You cannot have unnecessary revenge. And Jesus says, my guys, the reason why God gave that was to give you guys a stop on a culture that was completely inundated and soaked in bloodshed. And Jesus says, the idea behind that is that God is love. And that the greatest thing that love could ever do is to sacrifice itself for its enemies. Think about that. Your your, your enemies, the people that, that do not deserve forgiveness... And love says, I will go beyond and I will absorb their penalty to give them freedom. Now, something else we need to to, uh, understand here is what we covered in detail last week. Jesus is talking in the context of personal relationships, not a legal governmental sense. There there are verses in the Bible, Romans chapter 13, uh, 1 Peter speaks about the government, and one of the roles of the government is to punish those who do evil. So that means that our officers, our law enforcement officials that are here, if you do your job and do it well, it is an honorable thing in the sight of God. Amen? Now, police brutality, things like that, that's beyond what Jesus said. And he even spoke to the soldiers then. And they were basically like, it was military law uh, all across the Roman world. There weren't necessarily police officers. And they said, what would you have us do? And he said, basically, don't take things by force. Don't go around as thugs trying to intimidate. But boy, being able to be a police officer in today's world and do that to the glory of God, the hat should go off. The hat should go off. That is an incredibly difficult job. And we mentioned this a while back. If you get pulled over, 
maybe there's so many ways that this could go. Maybe, maybe that would be a good opportunity to exercise humility and to exercise brokenness and to stop the cycle of blaming everybody else. I mean, I, I like that old joke, right? This, this is old and this is, this is older than dirt, but you know, the guy went through the stop sign. He just kind of rolled through and the police officer pulled him over. I said, sir, you didn't stop at the stop sign. He said, well, I slowed down. The police officer pulled out his nightstick, started beating the guy. He said, ow, ow. And he said, I just slowed down. Right, y'all like that? That's my preacher joke for the year. That's the reason why I don't tell him. Let's go on. The point that Jesus is establishing here is that there is obviously a place, if we take the whole of the Bible into account, to where there is self-defense, there is something called a just war, there is the proper roles of police officers and soldiers in the context of a government to where they support the laws that should be there. But let me just make a statement, all right? And, you know, if you're a libertarian, a constitutional party, Democrat, Republican, you know, you take it at face value. But if, if the United States uh, passes a law uh, to where we are not able to exercise the First Amendment and preach God's word, and the way it will come is they will call it hate speech. For example, saying that we know that the Bible uh, says that homosexuality is, is wrong. Homosexual acts are wrong. That's what God's word says. We do not hate homosexuals. We will not tolerate the bullying of homosexuals. But we believe that they need to be saved just like everybody else. When that comes down the pipe, because law is always downstream from culture, is it not? Culture changes, and then law eventually changes. When it comes down and they threaten churches with losing your tax-exempt status, whatever that may be, I just want to let you guys know, and I've thought about this and prayed about it, whether to mention it, I am willing for us to lose that. I'm willing to go to jail. Um, We should never sit back and allow the God-given right of freedom to be taken away. All right, for us or for anybody else. That includes things such as the the ability to defend yourself. The government has no right to tell you if, how, and where you can defend yourself. That is a basic right that comes from God. All right? And yes, that delves into the gun control issue. The government has no right to, to, to come in and, and not protect the unborn. The government has no right to come in and say, well, you can say this, but you can't say this. So we, as people who have been freed by Jesus Christ, we don't approach the government. We don't approach law enforcement officers. We don't approach our elected representatives or a judge and arrogance. But we say, this is what we must stand upon. And if your law violates the clear teachings of the the Bible, I will disobey your law. And that's when you pile up the jail and you have church in jail. And I've thought about it even more. We go there once a week anyway, so it won't be that big of a change. Okay? Now, we're not talking, you know, say, well, Jeff, Pastor Jeff, we know that you like to hunt. Are you talking about forming militia? No, no. Nothing like that. Nothing having to do with armed revolt, but simply saying that we will not. Like the apostles before America, before the Magna Carta, before the Declaration of Independence, in Acts 5, like it was so new, the Jewish leaders said, listen, guys, we'll let you go. But one stipulation, one violation of your free speech, you can talk about anything, but don't do it in the name of Jesus. And they said, sorry. Sorry. I mean, these were guys who couldn't even understand the concept of what it means to be a free person like we do today. But they said, man, Jesus has changed my life and I would rather die 
then stop talking about him. And there's the old question that if we were brought to trial and accused of being Christians, would there be enough evidence to convict us? The driving question here that Jesus gets a hold of is this, and it's in your outline. Loving your friends. This is so revolutionary, especially in the South. Loving only your friends is a sign that you are in love with yourself. But loving your enemies is a sign that you have died to yourself. Let let me give that one more time. Loving only your friends, surrounding ourselves with people like us and people that like us, is a sign that we are in love with ourselves. But if we love our enemies, it is a sign that we have died to ourselves. Because listen, the last thing that you and I ever want to do is love our enemies. Think about it like this. And notice once again, Jesus said very clearly, love your enemies. Jesus commanded that of his followers. Some of us don't like awkward situations. Amen? Some people don't even know that those exist. You're the ones who cause them. Some of us think, man, I, I don't know about going in that class or in that, that situation, you know, that, that, that room, that, that job scenario, because I don't, listen, I don't know anybody, right? I don't know anybody there. And I don't want to be weird to where I don't have somebody to talk to, and I'm just kind of like awkwardly standing over there in the corner, like, you know, doing this. And by the way, since we have cell phones today, what people do is they flip out and act like they're talking to somebody on their cell phone as a way to act like I'm not totally alone. We don't like awkward situations. We don't like people that make us feel uncomfortable. And I'm not talking about uncomfortable in a wrong, weird way, but just like there's no words being said. You take that a million miles further and you arrive with enemies. Man, people that are out to get you. They're not looking out for number one. They're looking out for you. And they're looking out to take you down from even coming close to number one. Jesus says, love them. He doesn't say deal with them. He doesn't say put up with them. But you notice what this does, if you want to follow along in your outline. When you love your enemies, someone asked, Jeff, why should I love my enemies? Here's what it does. When you do that, it showcases the difference that Jesus has made in your life in a culture that says you do one of two things. You either hate your enemies or you throw them like on the trash pile of discarded relationships. You ever heard this phrase? I'm through. I'm through. Now, when I was growing up, that usually meant that mom had had it up to here and that corporal punishment, not capital, but corporal punishment was about to begin, which was totally righteous and just. It's saying, you know what, man, I am through with you. In other words, you are dead to me. And in some cultures, like some strongly Jewish families, if their, their child converts to Christianity... In a Muslim background, if you convert to Christianity, it's almost in a sense that you've died to the family. In fact, some Orthodox Jews, Jewish families have, check this out, they have funerals. To where if you, as a son or a daughter, are raised in their house, you go away to college, you get involved in a group that loves Jesus, and they lead you to say, you know what, now you're a completed Jew if you trust Jesus, because Jesus came to save the Jew first, then the Gentile, and you get saved, and you go home, and you say, Mom, Dad, I've, I've come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And they not only distance themselves from you, but they actually have a full funeral and say to, to our family, you are dead. And sometimes we say, boy, I'm tired. It's hard to get up on Sunday morning. Y'all okay? 
They're people who suffer for the cause of Christ. And Jesus is saying that when you go, not just the second mile if we backed up a few verses, but boy, when you go, I mean, to infinity miles and you say, I'm willing to love my enemies, that showcases the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And notice that Jesus just cuts to the quick here. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus does not repeat what the culture has said. And a lot of times in culture we say things that the Bible does not say. For example, um, you've heard this phrase before in American culture, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? Okay, that's not in the Bible. That's not, the, the, the scripture says that, that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Another one, please don't ever say this, especially as somebody who's going through suffering. God will never give you more than you can handle. Absolutely not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we were able. And if we live our lives every time we come into suffering, we say, boy, God won't give me more than I can handle. Who is the focus on to carry that load? Me. The point of the Bible is, man, if it were not for God's mercy, you would not be able to handle what you already have and you're not even sick. The point of the Bible is not that, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle and you got to like do, you know, this spiritual workout. But man, if God laid upon you what you actually have, which is the sin that we all have committed, man, it is through that that we will be totally broken. So what the Bible says is that God, man, sometimes he will bring like Job crushing things into our lives. He will even bring, check this out, he will even bring enemies across your life path. And he will do it so that he will be glorified. But it is in those times, please do not take refuge in that empty, hollow, cultural saying of God will never give you more than you can handle. Don't ever say that to a parent who has a child who has cancer. Amen. God will never give you more than you handle. Like, oh, so he wants to give me like, uh, yeah, like my whole family, like my dog, like Job. I mean, good Lord, Job lost all of his kids, all of his, all his possessions. In a day, we're going to go back and say, boy, Job, we're talking about this forgiving your enemy thing. God won't give you more than you can handle. No, Job couldn't handle it. Tore his clothes, sat down in a pile and threw threw just ashes on top of his head. His only companions were dogs. His wife who said, just curse God and die. In common English vernacular, drop Drop the F-bomb on God, raise your middle fingers to the heavens, and say, I'm finished with you. That's the idea of Job's wife. And then his friends, they come. You ever ever heard that phrase that with friends like this, you don't need enemies? Job was down under the boots of suffering. And his friends come and say stuff like, well, if you were, if you were a righteous man, you wouldn't be going through all this. If you would just worship God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, those types of ideas. In other words, Job, the reason why God dropped the hammer on you is because you've done something wrong. And God corrects those friends, quote unquote. Man, listen, in your life, some of you have experienced this. This may be a moment of gospel clarity for you. The people that you have invested in, the people that you have sacrificed for, you know where this is going, right? The people that you have been willing to do anything in the world for, it is often those people that when you turn around, they get the knife, they get the knife of backstabbing and they stab you in the back. 
And it is often in those times like that to where our friends have shown themselves to truly be enemies. And do you know what the words of Jesus are? He says the way that you free yourself from that experience is you choose to love them. And notice he gives a very specific example. Check this out. To pray for them. Time out. How many of us, when someone double crosses us, when you have helped them out financially, when you've helped them out, I mean, just being a friend, and all of a sudden you don't know where it came from, you you search your heart, you don't know any way that you backstab them, and it seems like the goal of their life is to take you down. It is in those times that Jesus says freedom comes through praying for them. You're like, i got no problem with that, hoss. I can pray for them. God, on their way to work, help them hit a deer. And help it be big. And when they get to work, please, Father, in your abundant mercy, have the boss there with a, with a piece of paper colored in pink. And let him slip that pink slip to them. Right? That's the, man, I tell you what. Names and faces, I'm sure, are popping in our minds already. Can we be honest? Some of you come on now, let's be honest. They're there. We know the names. We know the situations. But Jesus says there's a different way. When those people come across our minds, instead of dwelling upon the offense, instead of just, I mean, almost like establishing the roots of the house of your life into that that swamp, that nasty, sandy experience of being betrayed, Jesus says, rise above that through my power and pray for them. Most of all with this prayer, pray, listen, pray that they come to repentance. Pray that they come to repentance. And some people say, now, Jeff, that would be very difficult to do because in Jesus' day, they had a culture that taught, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And today, I've been taught, love your friends, but just don't have anything to do with your enemies. Listen, Jesus crossed the divide. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. And listen, if you think you're a good person here today, you are thoroughly deceived. If you think that you will be able to see God once you pass over that river of death and say, God, I'm good to come into heaven because I'm a good person. You don't understand the gospel. The gospel says that we are all enemies of God. We have all brought God's judgment on on ourselves. But here's what he did. See, here's where it all connects. God sent His Son who came to redeem and love and rescue His enemies, us. Who brought sin? (laughs) Satan provided the temptation. But man, our forefathers, Adam and Eve, they fell for that hook, line, sinker, bobber, and the whole fishing pole. And we've been doing the same thing ever since. Who were the, what group of creation murdered the Son of God on the cross? Us. What group in creation made in God's image and God says, my plan for you is to come to me. You are my enemy, but I am willing to make you my son and my daughter. What group says to God, puts, as we talked several weeks ago, puts the tongue against the roof of the mouth and pushes out with the air and says, no, it's us. 
God made birds to fly and to chirp. They do that. God made dogs to just simply be awesome. Right? God made horses to do what they do and to be ridden by people. God made cows to do And they, they do what they've been created to do. But the only creation in all of creation that can understand more than an animal ever could, and often we read these difficult verses, man, these are not just difficult, these are impossible. And we say, God, I know that you say to love my enemies and to pray for those who persecute me. But I will take that under advisement. Taking it under advisement is called this. No. Jesus is calling us to say, I don't know how to do this. I may not have ever seen this modeled in my home, but I want to follow you. And so God, today, would you begin to change my heart to be able to forgive my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. We're going to break this down into even greater detail next week, but I just want this to sit and to soak this coming week. And uh, let's let's just all bow our heads and close our eyes. Um, we'll, we'll have our our commitment time, our invitation. If you are struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness, why don't you just come to Christ in prayer right now and say, Father, I don't know how to forgive. I don't, I don't, I don't know what that means fully. I don't know what that looks like. All I know is that I have been not just once, but multiple times stabbed, maligned, gossiped about, slandered. Lord, I, I even have been, have been abused and, and maybe even in the, in the worst physical way possible. And God, I don't believe I could, I could ever, ever forgive them. If you're coming to God with that brokenness, your inability to forgive what often we see as unforgivable, God can do a work in your heart if you come to Him humbly. So if you're dealing with that, if you're struggling with those things that have happened and these radical revolutionary words of Jesus that says love and to pray for, why don't you just do business with him right now and just say, God, I don't know how to do it, but I need you to do a work in my heart. Please, Jesus, I don't want to be held back by bitterness, but I want to be set free. Please, Jesus, please free me. Help me to do Help me, oh God, help me to do what I don't know how to do on my own. And it may be that that you know someone in your life, or maybe they need prayer. You need to come and pray. When we begin to sing this song called, How Great, How Great is Our God. Why don't you just come if you need to pray for someone, and just kneel by this altar, and in doing that, you're saying, God, I'm willing to be humble before you. There may be some of you and you've never given your life to Jesus. And you need to do that. You need to turn from your sin and you need to say, I need to be made new. I need to have my heart transformed. And I know that Jesus is the only one who can do that for me. Why don't you trust Jesus right now? Just trust Him right now. Turn from your sin and say, save me, Jesus. God may be calling those of you who have gotten saved or you trusted Jesus in this service today. God is calling you to come and and to make make a profession before people and to stand up and not be ashamed of Jesus. There may be some of you that need to join this church or or come and and say, I'm ready to be baptized. What we're going to do is we're going to, to begin to sing 
uh, very softly and we're going to stand to our feet. And when we do that, it is your opportunity to come forward. I'll be able to pray for you. This is your day to follow Jesus. Father, as the band begins to start this song, as we sing, how great is our God, we pray that you would help us to follow your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.